Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. We all know, from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts, that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. Westholm, which is based in Queensland and the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about pufferfish. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this. Me too. Um, yeah, I find it so fascinating. Um, when I was in in Japan, I would see these ads for, for fugu, for this pufferfish, um, all over. And uh, I never had it, to my knowledge, and I assumed that I would know I had it because it's very expensive, which we'll talk about it later. Uh-huh. Um, but I just find it so, so interesting that humans are like, what? This might kill me? Yes, please. <laughs> I will pay top dollar for that experience. Uh-huh. I want it. <laughs> it's sometimes called the food version of Russian roulette, and I just find it endlessly fascinating. <laughs> And this is actually a part of the plot of my favorite book I've ever written, um, that there's this drug and there are strains of it, that there's this huge probability of insanity or death if you take it, but because the high is so good, and there's sort of this devil-may-care, living-on-the-edge pride that comes with surviving it. Okay. And there are descriptions of the different highs, like kind of like oysters, like sweet on the palate, <laughs> risk of death, 86%. Um, <laughs> and yes, Lauren, this is what that thing in our D&D campaign is oh, based on. no. that's That was my uh-huh from a second ago. Um, that uh-huh. was my uh-huh of, have you, did you, <laughs> did you get one of the other characters in our campaign hooked on this drug? <laughs> 
Let's just say she is very lucky that the role went the way it did. Oh, my heck. Oh, geez. This was, I. for those of you following along (laughs) at home with our D&D adventures, this this was a matter of much contention for a number of uh, episodes of play. Um, Yes. uh, Okay. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Cool. So uh, you have that to worry about. That uh, storyline is not done. Uh, Great. Yeah. Yeah, that's little. that's fabulous. I'm suddenly really glad that my character is so, like, righteous about so many things. Yes, yes. That helped you out in this situation, that is for sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I just find this whole idea fascinating. And apparently, a, uh, a lot of seasoned chefs that prepare fugu fish believe that a lot of the people who eat it, that say they're feeling this tingling of the lips— that they're making it up or, or that it's just in their head, maybe. Um, and I, I wasn't really able to confirm this. We were talking about this before we started recording, but um, I read a couple of interviews with chefs where they said it's rude to comment on it, uh, on these effects, or joke about the danger of it. So if anyone knows or has experience with that, please write in. Yeah, um, my hypothesis was that that's just chefs saying it out of, like, you know, after the umpteenth time a day, uh, a chef sees someone, like, pretend to fall over dead after eating their dish. They're like, okay. Yeah. That's quite enough of that. Um, although uh, uh, Super Producer Andrew was saying that he has a friend who who did report feeling like, tipsy after eating it um, and then realized that she had not had anything to drink. It was just the fish. Mm. So, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who Psycho- knows? Psychosomatics are fun. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> also, apparently, a goon tried to kill James Bond with puffer fish in From Russia with Love, which I huh. find I don't doubt that at all. I haven't no. seen it, but I believe it. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, it's been it's been a few years, but uh, yeah. Yes, and on kind of the other side of the entertainment spectrum, we did touch <laughs> on uh, the time Homer ate fugu fish in our Simpsons episode. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, so, he, turned, he turned out just fine as well, yeah. He did, he Him did. Him and James a- Bond have that in common. <laughs> I bet they have more in common than we think, Lauren. (laughs) I'm sure they do. (laughs) But all of this brings us to our question. Yes, Fugu. What is it? Well, uh, fugu is a Japanese word for a whole bunch of different genuses and species of pufferfish that people eat, and that famously often contain a really potent toxin in some of their organs that can kill you dead. <laughs> um, and yeah, pufferfish is a super generic term, it turns out, with, uh, with a lot of linguistic confusion, because it can refer to fish in two separate families uh, in the order tetraodontiforms and um, can be called, aside from pufferfish, balloonfish, blowfish, bubblefish, globefish, swellfish, sea squab, toadfish, blowtoads, and porcupinefish, just to name a few. Also, I'm so glad that my career has brought me to a place where I just got to say blowtoads into a microphone. 
It was excellent. Uh, if I had had something like water in my mouth, I think I might have done a spit take. <laughs> Blow toads. Wow. Blow toads. Yep. Um, but porcupine fish, though, I will say that that last one there um, tends to refer to specific buddies um, that have larger external spines than other species. Anyway, uh, yeah, so so these these guys are smallish tropical fish uh, that look like Pokemon. Um, big eyes, big heads, weird, like torpedo tapered bodies. There is a Pokemon that's called quillfish in, in the in the American version um, that's that's a blowfish. Anyway, um, yeah, they, they don't swim very fast. Um, but they have a lot of defense mechanisms. Um, they tend to have these pokey spines on their skin. They can rapidly fill up their very elastic stomach with water or air um, to puff up to about three times their original size. Like, it takes, like, 15 seconds. And they tend to carry just a whole bunch of this horrifying toxin in their bodies. Um, marine species, mostly in their liver and ovary, and freshwater species, mostly in the skin. But it can accumulate in smaller proportions, basically throughout. This is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I I know you haven't seen SpongeBob, Lauren. Uh-huh, uh, I have But not. there is a Miss Puff. Uh, the puffer fish, and uh, it's one of my favorite like defense mechanisms of just because she does it when she's stressed and she just puffs out. Oh, no, uh, I love it. I think that is a wonderful <laughs> nature. He's so interesting. Nature, good show, right? Right? It just I mean these these little guys they just go from from like bloop 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 bloop. Oh, I'm big. I'm real big. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> Look at my size and be intimidated. <laughs> uh, although uh, a side note here, um, sharks apparently, which are one of the predators of pufferfish, aren't particularly bothered by this toxin that they produce. So... I mean, they will be bothered by the fact that they have spines on their skin and that especially when they when they puff up, those spines stick straight out and can choke you um, mm -hmm. if you're a shark. Um, but I'm just, I'm looking at these pufferfish going like, for whom did you make this toxin, pufferfish? You, you suspect foul play? You suspect a conspiracy? I think I might. We need oh. to get Ben and Matt and Noel on the line about this. Here's where it gets why haven't they talked about it already? <laughs> These puffer fish are out there just lying in wait for us. For and us. then we willingly eat them. Oh, they really don't have to try that hard. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. Um, Still, the, the truth. <laughs> we must get the truth. Okay, so here's here's where it gets crazy. Um, <laughs> the toxin at hand um, is is called tetrodotoxin, and and it's this neurotoxin that's found in a bunch of marine life, a few land dwellers as well. Uh, researchers think that it's produced as a defense mechanism in some plants and animals, and and even as an offensive weapon in some animals that use it in in hunting prey because it it paralyzes. Um, 
In humans specifically, uh, it it basically inhibits cells like neurons and muscles from activating. And in severe cases, this can lead to paralysis and death from heart or respiratory failure. And I'm summing this up like, whoa, uh, it has to do with sodium channels. And this level of electrophysiology is completely beyond me. Um, oh, what? I, I know. <laughs> You're not well-versed in electrophysiology. <laughs> Not today, Annie. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is some wild stuff. Uh, tetrodotoxin is one of the most powerful neurotoxins known to humankind. Um, some 12,000 times more toxic than cyanide. It can kill you in 17 minutes flat. There's Whoa. no known antidote. Wow. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Although basically, uh, for for humans anyway, you know, if you if you uh, get someone on on uh, artificial uh, life support, then in, until the toxin clears out of their system, they're usually going to be okay. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because of the pathways through which it works, um, that paralysis being uh, one of the side effects, it's being investigated for all kinds of interesting medicinal properties, um, like a, like pain relief in severe illness, like advanced cancer care, um, and reductions in physical cravings and anxiety in heroin addiction. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what really gets me. No one really knows why some puffer fish contain so much of it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> science thinks that mostly they get it through their diet, that like bacteria and phytoplankton and larger creatures like worms uh, create it, and then it accumulates in pufferfish when they eat those critters, um, or critters that have eaten them in turn, like uh, like mollusks. Or maybe that larger creatures like pufferfish have bacteria in their microbiome, like in their guts, that, that create it for them. This is like breaking science. Research is still ongoing. See, I think you were onto something, Lauren. I think it's a big conspiracy. And the puffer fish have got their big globy eyes set on us. They're menacing little beaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're just like, boop, boop, in the water. And, and the big king puffer fish is like, these fools, we just have to. They'll eat us willingly. <laughs> Speaking of, we are a food show, so let's talk about some dishes. Um, Now, I have never had puffer fish either, so I I, I cannot tell you from personal experience what it tastes like, but I've read that um, in texture, it's sort of of, uh, delicately chewy meaty, um, like a cross between chicken and mackerel maybe, or sort of like frog's legs, Um, Mm -hmm. and that the flavor is delicate too and a little bit sweet. Would you would you try it? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I would too. So I don't want to. When I call <laughs> uh, people fools for eating it, I am one of them. One of these people. So. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. the conspiracy has worked. We we have bought in. Yes. Oh, yes. totally. Yeah. <laughs> to the yeah, version we, of QAnon. Yeah. <laughs> we were uh, talking about this before, and I was saying I feel like I'd be nervous about it for an entire day, and I know I wouldn't need to be. Like if I was fine. Yeah, you would Pretty know that you after. were fine within within yeah. like a half half an hour to like six hours tops. You would, yeah, yeah. 
but I think it would take a whole day. It's like when I watched that movie that's supposed to kill you in 24 hours, that it took two days sure. I, before I felt okay. So I think I just needed an extra buffer time. That's okay. Yeah, I'm still wary <laughs> of televisions, and The Ring is a really old movie at this point. So. I believe it was 2001. Yeah, I still get oh, a little geez. a little anxious <laughs> about it, too. <laughs> I'm really glad that everything has moved to flat screen. I'm yes, less afraid yes. of those. I'm like, she clearly can't come out of a flat screen. No, <sighs> no. And not cell phones, only landlines and VHS. Although she did go viral in the newest movie, just Look, so you know. I, I'm I'm aware that's not in my head canon. Yeah, your <laughs> canon is stops at the first one. I got it. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about pufferfish. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so different species are prized for different uses. Um, apparently, torafugu, or the tiger pufferfish, is super high-end, if you ever see that on a menu. It's going to be expensive, but people recommend it. Um, and pufferfish can be served in all kinds of ways, um, on or off the bone, in raw slices, um, cooked in soups, as cutlets, deep fried, in uh, savory porridge, in hot pots, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the ways it's served really call out the whole deadly thing, um, like oh, one of those mild symptoms uh, that Annie mentioned of, of fugu poisoning, quote-unquote, is is um, a num- numbness or tingling on the tongue or lips. Um, and some dishes play with that by serving puffer fish along with spices that have a similar effect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, in Japan, when it's served as sashimi, it's traditionally um, cut super thin and arranged on the plate in the shape of a chrysanthemum blossom, which, in addition to being real pretty— is a symbol of death in Japan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you gotta love it. They lean into it. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the fatty and textured skin, the skin, which is kind of fatty and textured, can also be served uh, as, as a side or like a kind of amuse-bouche. Um, uh, sometimes chewy, sometimes roasted or fried like salmon skin. Um, the fins are also served crisped up. And there's even a cocktail featuring roasted pufferfish tail in hot sake, hirezake. Uh, uh, and this, this crispy tail is, is like lightly steeped before serving. Um, some creators give it like a quick flambe when it hits the table. Uh, boulder sakes are apparently used to, to stand up to the savory flavors of the tail. And I've read that it's like an alcoholic soup. Ooh. Right? I'm uh, into it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, of course, it's not only eaten in Japan. It's also popular in Korea, where it uh, can be served as, again, yeah, like the protein in soup or in bibimbap or bulgogi. Uh, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. A species of pufferfish also live in the Mediterranean, though I haven't read about it being, like, particularly prized there. It's more of a thing that people eat if they catch it, and that's what they've caught today. Uh, although on the mid-Atlantic coast, it um, it is kind of popular. It's uh, fried, sautéed, grilled, ceviched, you know, just as, as we would do around the Carolinas-ish with any other fish. Huh. Okay. Well, what about the nutrition? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm, fish is pretty good for you. Um, uh, you know, lots of protein. Puffer fish isn't super fatty. It's got lots of vitamins and minerals. Um, as with any protein, I guess it depends on how you prepare it. Yes. Or how specifically <laughs> so in this case. 
Um, (laughs) We do have some numbers for you. Yes, there are uh, hundreds of known species of pufferfish. And as of 2019, 22 uh, are proved for restaurant use in Japan. Fugu is a very popular dish in Japan. Over 3,800 restaurants are certified to serve it. The Japanese reportedly eat an annual 10,000 tons of fugu fish. And to meet demand, Osaka has 80,000 fugu chefs. And uh, the training for this is quite difficult, and the test is Uh very long. Um, So it's not something you sort of get into on a whim. One-third of chefs who take this exam to prepare fugu fail it. And it's expensive. A single plate can run you up to $200. I think most things I saw said between $80 and $200, sort of what you're looking yeah. at. Yeah, yeah. E- even just a even just a tiny sample of, of sashimi can, can be like 40 bucks or more. Right. Um, 95% um, of, of Japan's fugu is farmed, and the wild-caught ones are like four to five times more expensive than the farmed ones. And about 50 people a year suffer from fugu poisoning, and around 30 incidents, some fatal in Japan. Uh, the numbers do get a little messy, and depending on where you find them, they can they can vary, but something like that. This accounts for half of all food poisoning deaths in that country. Um, There are a few cases a year in Taiwan as well. It's banned across the European Union and the United Kingdom and very, very strictly regulated um, to only a handful of specialized restaurants in the United States. But many of the deaths result from people catching their own and uh, attempting to prepare it themselves. Not recommended. No, 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 no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, so the history of this, of eating fugu, is fascinating. It is. Oh, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I like opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled stakes because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, fugu fish go way, way, way back. Um, fugu bones found in what were essentially ancient trash dumps date back to 2,800 years ago in Japan, which historians believe suggest people may have been eating this fish as early as that. In the ancient Chinese text, Shan Hai Jing are the classic of mountains and seas, possibly written in some version all the way back to 4th century BCE included a mention of the deadly nature of eating fugu. Huh. Centuries later, though, sometime from 1000 to 1100 CE, poet Su Shi wrote several poems praising the fugu fish. So, um, Fugu appeared in Japan's first published history in 720 CE. Early chefs did figure out traditional methods of cleansing that liver for consumption. And I couldn't track down a date range for when this began, but at some point after leprosy entered Japan around the 8th century CE, fugu became a folk treatment for the symptoms because it could relieve pain. Huh. Wow. Um, well, uh, on the other end, Japan outlawed the eating of fugu in the 16th century after there was a spate of deaths due to the toxin. According to some sources I found, specifically after several soldiers were impacted before the invasion of Korea was scheduled to take place. Ah. It was allegedly 
the only food the emperor was not allowed to eat for fear of death. And even touching, that was prohibited too. Oh. Um, yeah, no. Legend goes samurai that suffered from fugu poisoning were required to kill off their entire family. Huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will say that, that most legends about samurai are very uh, legendy. Yes. I actually feel a lot of the, especially older uh, history for this one is very, very legendy. Uh, and that makes sense to me that there's this thing that can kill you. And of course, there'd be the oh, stories yeah. about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a good note to put in here. I do think <laughs> a lot of this is over time been perhaps lost or exaggerated. <laughs> or, yeah, just, you know, made a little bit more fun yeah. in a, in <laughs> in a, a dark kill your way. family sort of way. <laughs> right. The best, <laughs> the most fun times. Um, in 1774, James Cook is believed to have written about a mild case of fugu poisoning after his crew ate some of the fish. Around the same time, Japanese Yusa Busan wrote a haiku about fugu. I cannot see her tonight. I have to give her up so I will eat fugu. So I guess it's not specifically uh, about fugu, but fugu plays a role in there. It certainly does, yes. Yes. Uh, starting in 1879, the Japanese government began collecting an annual food poisoning report, including fugu numbers. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty long time. Right? Mm-hmm. In 1888, consumption of fugu rose dramatically after the then prime minister, Japan's very first prime minister, declared his love for the taste of fugu and repealed the ban. Ah. Now, this story is also very legendary and in some <laughs> versions, because remember, it was illegal at the time. And somebody, in theory, served the prime minister <laughs> in a legal, possibly deadly <laughs> fish, and then he loved it so much that he was like, you know what? You know what? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me more. This ban is over. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of very fun versions of that story and what went down there. Um, and this took place in Shimonoseki City, which was the first place that lifted the ban on eating fugu. Um, because of this, they have their own brand, Shimonoseki Fugu. And it's sort of become a distribution center despite not being the top producer. The prefecture it's located in, Yamaguchi Prefecture, is home to most of the fugu processing plants in the country. And yeah, the prime minister granted the first official license to serve fugu to a restaurant in that area in 1895. Some stories go it's the one he had it at, which would make sense. According to the Washington Post... There is a monument of the fugu fish outside the fish market in Shimonoseki City. And every year in February, some people pray outside of it for a bountiful fugu catch. And each year, the town gifts the emperor with fugu. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, but wait, didn't I just read somewhere that the emperor can't have fugu? It's prohibited. Can't even touch it. Apparently, um, that's... (laughs) It was a certain period of time. I couldn't find, like, a real answer for this. Uh, my best guess is that, yeah, for a period, the emperor couldn't have it or touch it. But I don't know if anyone has any clarity around that because I was very confused. I, I'm like, why are you sending the emperor something he can't even touch? I don't know. <laughs> 
Also worth noting, um, as these bans were in place, some chefs kept serving fugu anyway, as is apparent by this whole story. And health officials often didn't report them as long as there were no incidents. Ah. hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, In... 1884, a Japanese researcher by the name of uh, Dr. Tahara Yoshizumi of the National Institute of Hygienic Sciences started in on a chemical study of what was causing all of this fuss about fugu. Um, And along with other research from the University of Tokyo, uh, Faculty of Medicine over the next three decades, like three decades, like this was a really long, ongoing uh, research project. Uh, by 1909, Dr. Tahara had isolated this toxic substance from pufferfish ovaries and confirmed that it is indeed the uh, active ingredient that makes <laughs> fugu poisonous <laughs> um, and named it tetrodotoxin. And there you go. Yes. <laughs> to promote safer eating through education around handling and preparation, the Tokyo Fugu Cooking Alliance was formed in 1930. As a result, the consumption rate rose even more, and there is a very fun statue of Fugu in Tokyo to commemorate this event. Uh, more, more travel goals. Uh, <laughs> up until 1964, um, everyone thought that Pufferfish were the only creatures that contain tetrodotoxin. And then and then it was just suddenly discovered in this species of newt living in California. Like oh. not even in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Not, not you even think nearby. They're a part of the conspiracy. Oh, have you ever seen a newt? <laughs> I'm not sure I have. <laughs> and now I'm not sure I want to. Clearly shady creatures. They're the land version. They're the land invasion of the puffer fish. So, so, so after this newt um, was discovered to have it, uh, they the researchers were like, "Well, back to the research drawing board," and tried to go back and figure out what, what else contains it and uh, and how how it's developed uh, uh, biochemically. Yes, we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, I found a lot of numbers that I couldn't really get to the bottom of um, that showed a really huge spike in fugu poisoning in the 1950s um, in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I'm not entirely sure if that's true. Uh, it would make sense if more people were eating it and there weren't necessarily as many regulations in place. But um, mm-hmm. just put that out there. Because they were pretty high. It was a lot. Hmm. A a 1977 scene from the Japanese show Truck Guys depicts one of the main characters attempting to cure his fugu poisoning by burying himself up to the neck in sand. I tried to figure out why that would be. And apparently, (laughs) it's like a a folk remedy. There's a legend that this works. Um. So there's that. Two years earlier, in 1975, a famous kabuki star, like really famous, died from eating too much fugu. Uh, the Ministry of Health prohibited serving the liver in response. And from what it sounds like, he was really drunk. Mm. Um, and so he couldn't, he ate more than he should have been served. And he couldn't feel the effects because he was drunk. The early effects because he was, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think. 
In the 1980s, the books The Serpent and the Rainbow and Path to Darkness, The Ethnobiology of the Haitian Zombie by Wade Davis alleged Haitian zombies were created through doses of pufferfish toxin that took someone to the brink of death before they returned in a zombie-like state. The Serpent and the Rainbow was made into a movie by the same person who did The Nightmare on Elm Street. Huh. In 1990, China banned the domestic distribution and consumption of fugu, so some companies pivoted to farming fugu for export. In 2016, China allowed for small quantities of fugu to be eaten in their country again. Uh, Another science note. In 2001, pufferfish became the first vertebrate other than humans to have its genome be draft-sequenced. Um, researchers had been working on this since the early 90s, at least, um, because pufferfish, as it turns out, have one of the smallest known vertebrate genomes, only about like an eighth to a tenth of the size of the human genome, um, with fewer repeats, but overall similar gene content. So the hope was that in sequencing the genome of the pufferfish, we could like, like compare and contrast with our own and learn more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we must look to the pufferfish. We must look to the pufferfish. <laughs> our enemy, but also our other half. <laughs> um, researchers at Nagasaki University figured out how to purify the diets of the fugu to breed non-toxic versions in 2004, primarily for selling the liver. Allegedly... The head scientist on this project was a bit bittersweet about it, saying, a fugu without its poison is like a samurai without his sword. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the person who's leading this project saying that. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, And and, and yeah, these projects are are successful. You can totally like like detoxify uh, fugu depending on the diet that you serve them um or you can pretty well in many cases it's again it's a large number of species and people research is ongoing no one is entirely sure (laughs) what's behind this neurotoxin um in 2007 after mislabeled pufferfish entered the united states market and made several people sick that prompted the fda to to finally put their foot down about fish fraud. So they teamed up with the Smithsonian to start a database of fish DNA. Um, (laughs) The plot thickens. Because the Smithsonian, as it turns out, already had the largest museum-preserved fish collection in the world. (laughs) So... They were like, hey, Smithsonian Institute Division of Fisheries and also Laboratories of Analytical Biology, I bet y'all want to collect some DNA samples and start a database. And the Smithsonian was like, totes we do. Um, (laughs) This is the movie I want to (laughs) see. Yeah. yeah, the database went live in in 2011. It's It's a really successful project. That's that's really cool. I love that. Um, yes. Also in 2011, there was the death of a British businessman uh, that was thought to possibly be a case of murder by Fugu. Murder uh, by Fugu? Yes. 
Yes. Uh, I I read a couple articles about it, and it seems that they were, I don't know, I'd give it like an 85% positive. They seemed pretty <laughs> positive about it, uh, that it huh. was fugu, puffer fish. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, jeez. <laughs> it's potent stuff. Uh, oh, Tokyo uh, relaxed some of their strict rules around fugu in 2013. They allowed for shops and restaurants to sell fugu that had the poisonous body parts removed without a certified fugu chef. Um, and also that these relaxing of regulations allowed for the sale of processed fugu that also had those poisonous bits taken out. Uh, and as you can imagine, a lot of certified chefs were not happy about this. Oh, sure. Yeah. Huh. Again, it's a lot of training. Um, they take it very seriously, as one would hope. Well, <laughs> <laughs> in a dangerous food eating environment. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but no, I, there 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 is, as I said, ongoing research about reducing the toxicity. Yeah. Of these creatures, so. Yeah, and you know, I'm curious if. Because I do think a part of the allure, at least ha- some of it has to be this brush with death. Or that right. you're eating something that could potentially dangerous. be dangerous. Exactly. And therefore sexy. Yeah. Right. So if they get rid of the, the toxin, I'm just curious if you'll have people be like, I don't want that purify. I want the one yeah. that right. there's a little bit of a risk. Not a lot of a risk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, that. <laughs> I feel like that's the big allure. And a lot of people are going to, they're not going to want that either. Unless I can totally see if you want to cook it at home, if you happen to just really like the taste or something. The taste, right, sure. And you don't want to have to go to a restaurant and do the whole thing. And pay 200 bucks. and yeah. Right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, and I guess biologically, humans do a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the things I like, how often on the show do I get to say that like, like suckers, humans like that defense mechanism that you picked up to prevent things from eating you. Mm -hmm. Uh, We find a way (laughs) in the words of Ian Malcolm. (laughs) Appetite, um, finds a way. Yeah, exactly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I'm interested to see what this future research where it goes and, yes, how people, what what they're going to want or choose when it comes to mm-hmm. eating it. Uh, interested. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and it could give rise to so much fraud because you could <sighs> lie. You could say it's the dangerous kind and it's not. <laughs> oh, wow. There's a lot of stuff that could go on here. Conspiracies abound, truly. In the Pufferfish episode. Uh, just like the Pufferfish. Conspiracies. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Uh, well, that is about what we have to say about the Pufferfish. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, but uh, first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Mm-hmm. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with 
That's a fun one. <laughs> I really do love pufferfish. So, <laughs> just a very weird thing of beauty. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're so, they are so cute. Mm-hmm. They are mm-hmm. really adorable. But and they'll I, kill you. And I, I know how, how cheesy it is, but I, I really love like a pufferfish lamp. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That is, that, that is when you know that you are in a tiki bar. I yeah. was going to add a qualifier, but I don't think I need to. Just a tiki bar, period. Yeah. And I love mm-hmm. when you accidentally, like, brush by the needles of those lamps, and they yeah. hurt. And you're like, they're, wow. They're... <laughs> this, this is not something to be messed with. <laughs> this is a danger lamp. <laughs> we all know about danger lamps. That is true. That is true. Uh, also, I wanted to note... Uh, I was, as Lauren pointed out during a break, I was saying fugu fish, which is how I saw it written in a lot of places, but it was probably unnecessary. But I'm unwilling to go back and do it, and I'm unwilling to make Andrew cut it out. So, Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's redundant, in I'm, but kind of like saying like pizza pie or something like yeah. that. But yeah. as, I, as I reassured Annie earlier, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I hope I, it's not. <laughs> oh no, I'm not ready for a big deal right now. I don't need a oh, big deal in my life. Oh, no, totally fair. Totally fair. Okay, <laughs> definitely not a big deal. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get to some delightful listener mail. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, kind of speaking of big deal, um, Nate wrote, I absolutely loved your episode on the gin and tonic. Your reactions to pre-mixed tinned G&Ts made me laugh out loud <laughs> on my run. Here in Scotland, pre-mixed G&Ts, often referred to as gin in a tin, are a bit of a phenomenon. They are people's go-to drink if they're going to the beach or a picnic or even just a night in. I'm aware that your original episode was recorded before any of this happened, but I want to share a story which brought the beloved gin in a tin to our news headlines recently. In April 2019, a labor politician called Diane Abbott was photographed on her commute drinking a pre-mixed mojito on a train in London, something which is strictly forbidden on London public transport. Because she is a black woman and a politician for the Labor Party, a lot of the media took this as an opportunity to unfairly write horrible articles about her, judging her in every way. However, a lot of the public reacted in a compassionate, we've all been there way. (laughs) Drinking on most trains isn't illegal, just in London. So this led to a lot of people posting photos of their premixed cocktails and most popularly a gin and a tin on their own commutes <laughs> and journeys with the hashtag Je suis Diane Abbott. Um, at the start of the year, I got on a train at about 8 p.m. on a Saturday night after a very busy and stressful week. Um, of course, I had packed snacks and a gin and a tin. And before cracking it open, I checked with the conductor that it was still legal for me to drink at that time, whilst reassuring him I'd had a very busy week and just wanted to unwind. His response? We've all been there, son. If it's good enough for Diane Abbott, it's good enough for you. Needless to say, that was the only encouragement I needed, and it was one of the best gins in a tin I've had in a long time. (laughs) First of all, gin in a tin is excellent. And that is a great phrase that I've not heard, I don't think. And thank you. Yes. I'm looking to incorporate it more 
Um, and second, <laughs> I love that, like, we've all been there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's okay. Haven't we, though? <laughs> Haven't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to look for a gin and a tin. Yeah. I, uh, summertime, I've been feeling like I want to try this. Yeah, um, I, I think that that, that brand, uh, Long Drink, um, oh, yeah. is is essentially a, a gin and a tin. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Luke wrote, For some fun, I thought I'd give you a little more info on Farfetch'd. It's been around since the very first generation of Pokemon, and it's never been very good as far as Pokemon Go in terms of battling, but there's been some talk amongst fans for some time now that Farfetch'd should receive some love from Game Freak to give Farfetch'd more of a chance. In the latest generation, uh, Sword and Shield or Gen 8, Farfetch'd had something wonderful happen. It got both a regional variant, uh, a whole other thing, basically you can think of it as a subspecies of the same animal, similar to dog or cat breeds, and an evolution. Its name is Surfetch'd, <laughs> a Gallian knight whose leak has turned into both a lance and shield for this Pokemon to fight with. <laughs> <laughs> this all got me to thinking about the other food-based Pokemon in the series, and on further inspection, I realized that there were more food-based Pokemon than I realized. Most Pokemon regions are based on different real-world countries, and so some generations have Pokemon inspired by that region's food. There's Alcremi, uh, based on strawberries and cream, who can have up to 26 forms— depending on how you spin your character to help evolve it, like whipped cream, appleton, uh, based on an apple pie who evolves from a worm and an apple, a worm being a dragon from British and Norse mythology, uh, poltygeist, uh, a teapot with a ghost inhabiting it. Um, these are all from the Galar, Galar region, <laughs> sure, which is based off the UK. Um there's the Vanellix line based on soft-serve American ice cream from the Unova region, uh, New York. Farfetch'd comes from Kanto, which is based off the Kanto region of Japan. Uh, there's Gorgeist based off of uh, jack-o'-lanterns in the Kalos region, which is based on France. Um, and Boonsweet, a Pokemon based off of mangosteens who hails from the tropical Alola region based on Hawaii. There are a few more, but I don't want to talk your ears off too much. In the latest games, uh, Sword and Shield, there's a new cooking system in game two. You can cook curries, up to 150 of them. A cute nod to uh, British people's love for Indian food. In Alola, you can buy malasadas for your Pokemon, which from my understanding is a dish from Spain, but are also very popular in Hawaii. They are. Um, again, there are more dishes in each region, but it's a lot to list. All this is to say, it makes me so happy seeing these games take on so much inspiration from real-life food culture of the places they're based on. That just adds the extra layer of enrichment to the games for me. That is all fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. I want to know everything about all these food-based uh, Pokemon. <laughs> This is our wheelhouse, Lauren. Like, this very yeah. specific niche is right where we are. Is our niche. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is. Oh, my heck. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, apologies if I mispronounced everything. I Again, I, I haven't heard a lot of these things out loud. Uh, 
<laughs> this is all amazing. Yes. Oh, yeah. We definitely have to do an episode on this. <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't know much about Pokemon at all, but I'm so into this. Um, sold. So yeah, keep your ears yeah. out for that. <laughs> episode definitely forthcoming. Yes. In the meantime, thanks to both of them for writing. If you would like to write to us, you can, and we'd love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at saverpod. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.